What's happening, weirdos? Uh, what an honor. Obviously, anybody that listens to this podcast knows how much I love uh, Richard Rohr. Um, I'm so honored to have him on the podcast again. This is the second Richard Rohr. Um, if you don't know him, he is the author of many books that have absolutely, without a doubt, changed my life. Whether you are a spiritual person or not, he is wisdom. He's just a wise, brilliant, unbelievable, uh, and loving, loving, lovely man. Um, he is an expert in the Enneagram, which you've heard me reference many times. He's written books. And there's a great YouTube that I'm uh, actually halfway through because it's quite long on the Enneagram, uh, which I highly recommend. He also wrote the book Falling Upward, which I recommend, which is about the um, two halves of life. It has nothing to do with your age. It's just about like entering into the second phase of your life. Um, he also wrote this new book, which has blown me away, called uh, The Universal Christ. Um, I know people are going to be sort of, you know, maybe swayed off by the title, which I think is a shame because it is a book about isness and this and all, all that wonderful stuff um, that I think even non-spiritual people can get into. And it is radically inclusive. It is not judgmental or finger-waggy. Um, it is just a beautiful um, heartfelt, touching message that I think a lot of people need to hear. Christians, atheists, it doesn't matter. It's just a fascinating um, exploration of of consciousness, basically, in reality. So I highly recommend that book, The Universal Christ. It's I think it's his best by far, which is saying a lot. If you want something a little less Jesus-y to get started, I recommend um, Falling Upward. That is the book that I have given away more than 20 times to people. It, it absolutely changed my life. And if you want something even more Jesus-y, as I've plugged many times on this podcast, he has an iTunes series called Sermon on the Mount. But it's not, it's not just about the Sermon on the Mount. It, it is a wonderful exploration of, of Christianity and uh, the history of Christianity and, and metaphor and myth. And, and he's, it's, it's, it's radical. It's crazy. It's the sort of thing that I wish... I knew when I was in my 20s, but probably I heard it when I was ready for it, um, which is now. I listen to that at least once a year. Um, it's incredible. So anyway, this, this podcast is the first one we've ever done over Skype, but we did our best. We recorded it on my end and his end, so hopefully through mixing you won't even uh, be able to tell, but we, we Skyped with Richard um, at his Center for Action and Contemplation in New Mexico, uh, and let me see. Is there anything else I want to plug? I, I want to plug his book. I want to plug Nadia's book, um, which is called Shameless. Nadia was last, last week's episode. I want to plug again Michael Gunger's book, which is uh, we're just doing the the Pete's the Pete's Pick book club now. I'm reading all these books that are changing my life, and I'm reading them simultaneously. You know, just sort of picking the flavor every morning when I'm up with um, Baby Lee, and uh, this is also just mind-blowingly incredible. It's by Michael Gunger, who was uh, a guest a couple of episodes back. Um, and that book is, is unbelievable. If you're interested in the, in the God and consciousness portions, I recommend Shameless, Universal Christ, and this. And I'm going to throw in my own book. <laughs> you knew it was coming. Uh, Comedy Sex God. You know that by now. If you'd like, please pre-order that on Amazon. It's my book about my life. <laughs> I hope you like it. Um, I, we also have some things coming up. We have the first live You Made It Weird in, in, in years, years and years. And it's something that we haven't done before, which is just me and one guest, which is going to be Colin Hay, the incredible musician 
from Men at Work, but he also has, in fact, I know him primarily as a solo artist who I've listened to for over a decade. Um, it's going to be June 3rd at Largo here in Los Angeles. So that's going to be a recorded live episode of the podcast, June 3rd at Largo. We have some dates coming up uh, May, uh, May 23rd. I'm going out of order here, but May 23rd is going to be a conversation with me and Rob Bell about my book, uh, Comedy Sex God. We'll probably release that as another one guest, uh, You Made It Weird. So I hope you can come out to that. May 18th, um, I'm going to be in Boston uh, to do a live book show. Go to wbur.org slash events. Added a second show for Boston. And then on May 15th, I'm going to be at the William Vale in Brooklyn, also for a book uh, show with a very special guest who I cannot announce, but it's going to be awesome. Wordbookstores.com for tickets to that. And then also this Thursday, if you're listening to this the day this comes out tomorrow, uh, I'm doing my monthly Largo show, which is always, always, always the highlight of my month. I do a nice long stand-up set and also bring out guests and uh, music. And it's just, it's just my favorite thing in the world. Um, before we get to Richard, a couple of things up top here. I'm going to plug uh, Alpha Brain, the Pete's Pick, one of the original Pete's Picks. But in general, uh, what's going on with Onnit, the people that make Alpha Brain, is they're having their semi-annual sale. So it's starting now. It goes until the 29th of this month. And uh, nothing is off limits. Everything on their site. The number one bestseller, the nootropic Alpha Brain, which I love and take every single day. I, I literally swear by it. It's basically just nutrition, earth-grown supplement food for your brain. Helps me think, helps me communicate, helps me focus. Whenever I do stand-up, whenever I write, whenever I do a podcast, I've always taken uh, at least two, sometimes three, sometimes four Alpha Brain before uh, the podcast, usually three. <laughs> also, they have Marvel and Star Wars fitness equipment. They even have a complete day and night supplement packs called Total Human, and they're also offering free shipping. Uh, some exclusions imply, apply. Apply. 25% off supplements, 18, 18% off fitness and certifications, 20% off foods, 50% off digital downloads, DVDs, and books, 30% off apparel and personal care uh, and the more you buy, the more awesomeness you unlock. A 10% off coupon, free shipping, and premium free gifts are all available this year. All you have to do is uh, go to onnit.com slash semi-annual-sale, uh, and that will get you uh, those goodness. If you're listening to this after the 29th of this month, you can always go to onnit.com slash weird, and you'll get 10% off, and that is uh, not time-sensitive. Um, the other Pete's Picks I want to give a shout-out to, obviously, I had it for lunch today, Kachava. You know this. Kachava is a plant-based superfood drink mix. They literally went into the jungle <laughs> to find... That's true. To find the most exotic, nutrient-rich superfoods revered by tribal cultures for centuries. It is 100% plant-based. It's got omega-3s. It's got eight superfoods. It's got 17 greens and veggies. Boom. Built in. It's gluten-free, it's soy-free, it's free of artificial sweeteners and preservatives. It's got digestive support built into it. A thousand milligrams of adaptogens, 24 grams of protein, 24 grams of plant-based protein, and nine grams of fiber. And of course, because it's a liquid, all of this is going to get into your cells more easily and more quickly than, say, eating, um, you know, a cow head. It's amazingly delicious. Val, who doesn't normally like my weird um, nutrient things, loves it. 
because there's powdered coconut milk in it, which makes it creamy, and there's just enough coconut nectar in there to sweeten it. Sometimes I make it with almond milk, some frozen strawberries, and it tastes like chocolate, strawberry ice cream, and it gets you high, basically. There's so much nutrition in it, it makes you feel, not high, like stoned or inebriated, makes you feel like a glow, a happy, healthy glow. Maca and cacao all are all in there. It's a meal replacement. I take it on the road. I make it with one hand when I'm holding Baby Lee. It's basically a meal in the pill. And you can get 20% off. I reached out. I said, I love it. Can we get the weirdos a code? They said, absolutely. 20% off. Go to Kachava, K-A-C-H-A-V-A.com slash weird and give it a try. And of course, I want to give a shout out. The original Pete's Pick, Charlotte's Web Temp Oil. It's made from the hemp plant. Uh, people hear hemp, they think illegal. It's not like that. It's not, it doesn't get you stoned. It's not a intoxicant in that way. It's legal in all 50 states because they use science to remove THC. THC is what gets you stoned, and they leave the body and brain beneficial CBD. I really encourage people to just try it because the best thing, uh, it's hard to explain. I, I do call it a healthy, happy glow that sort of runs behind everything. Uh, it makes me a little bit quicker to smile, a little bit easier to laugh. My shoulders lower. It lowers my stress. I take it basically when I'm feeling stressed. Helps me sleep, helps me relax um, without any sort of intoxicating feeling. You can work on it. You work better on it. You can read on it, have a conversation. It's just something that sort of, it's hard to explain. Like I said, it sort of takes the edge off um, and is great. Give it give it a Google, CBD, benefits of CBD oil, Um uh, let me see. And, and the reason I love this company is the Stanley Brothers, they developed this formula for a young girl named Charlotte who was having seizures, and CBD was the only thing that helped her. Uh, so check it out. It's also the only uh, hemp grown in the U.S. made for human consumption. Um, and let me see. I, they just changed the name of the product, so I want to get it right. Here we go. There it is. Um, original formula is the one that I get. I get the mint chocolate flavor. Um, and you can also get these bombs that you can put on your skin that uh, is wonderful, soothing care for your skin and get some CBD on you topically. I uh, think that is wonderful. Uh, that's it. Okay. Hope to see you for the live You Made It Weirds at Largo. And uh, I hope to see you at the book shows in Boston and Brooklyn and uh, maybe at Largo tomorrow for the live show. Check out those books I mentioned. And here's a bonus. My buddy, Adam Ray, has a new... Adam Ray did this podcast. He also has his own podcast called About Last Night, which I've been on lately. It's funny, I plug myself so much. I'm getting a lot of value out of plugging other people's stuff, just, just sort of for the, for the love of it. And Adam Ray has a new album out called Read the Room. I love Adam. Check out his podcast, About Last Night. And you can go to um, adamraycomedy.com but we are going to listen to this album. It's available for download on April 26th. And here is a track, which is called, let me get the title right. It's called NBA Dreams. And then after we listen to that, we will fade in to my wonderful friend, Father Richard Rohr, who you're going to love. Don't let the word father scare you away. This man is a genius. Get into it. Yeah, I, uh, I wanted to be in the NBA when I was uh, a kid. My, my mom actually squashed that dream at nine. She's like, Adam, the NBA, but sweetheart, but there are no Jews in the NBA. <laughs> Good luck with that. You dumb, dumb, happy birthday. Go to bed. 
Just a power slam of honesty at nine. I ain't even at double digits. Already putting a kibosh on the fantasy, which seemed uh, fucked up from my perspective. And then I grow up and become an adult. And I'm like, oh, she was right. There are no Jews in the NBA. Bummer, but the harsh reality of the situation. You've never turned on any NBA game and seen Kevin Durant leafing through a Torah at halftime. Uh, no sweaty yarmulkes are flopping onto the court. No commentator during any NBA game has ever been like, Rosenbaum for three! <laughs> What a shot. Weinstein at the line for two free throws. You know how he loves those. He really take his time with this shot. He doesn't have to pay for it. <laughs> there we go. Hey, the miracle. Can, uh, can you hear me? I can. <laughs> I can't believe it. Uh, it's been too long. What, three years? It. Oh, my goodness. Has it been that yeah, long? Yeah, I think. I can't Since we that. met at Laguna Beach. That's Thank right. you, Jenna. Thank That's you. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three years. People still tell me how much they love that episode. They, they really... Well, I'll tell you, over the years on the road, it was said to me many times, I heard you on Pete Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> that makes, well, that's the whole thing, man, is, is I love... You can do, uh, you know, the the usual routes, but I love that you come on a comedian's podcast and talk about these things. It's like a, it's not a sneak attack, but it's a sneaky way. No, in. no, I need it. <laughs> I, I always say I'm far too serious. Well, you said that, and, but and said- <laughs> I need lighthearted people like you. By nature, I'm very serious, but I love it when people aren't as serious as me. So. You're yeah. perfect. <laughs> well, I can be not as serious as you all day. But um, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time. And sure. congratulations on this incredible book. I am so thrilled uh, with it. Are you? Well, you know, I've never had a book uh, sell this well right at the beginning. So, What do you yeah, make I'm, of that? I'm pretty awestruck. I. Because I've heard you say before that uh, Everything Belongs was another big seller of yours, and you said that that might have had to do with the title, which I yes, right. I, I sort of understand. That was sort of a consistent good seller, not best seller, but it was sort of a flat good seller. Right. Uh, but do you think the this, title of this one maybe? I wonder again, exactly. <laughs> the title. Is that intriguing people? Is that scaring people? <laughs> I, uh, it's probably doing both, yeah. Well, I mean, I came to the idea of the universal Christ. I've quoted it many times on this podcast from something you did on a, – a, I saw it online, but it was called The Catholic Corner. Do you remember that interview that you did? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's not a like a viral video by any no, means. No, no. Huh? I, I watched it, and it absolutely changed my life. And then this book is the book version of that. But that was yes. like seven years ago. So you've had these ideas. Were you? Oh yeah. Were you this waiting? Is, say it again. Were you Pete? waiting to to finally put this into print? I think so. Uh, I knew I'd get a lot of pushback because for most evangelical Christians and conservative Catholics, it's a scary idea. Uh, so I almost knew that this would be. Something I could only risk in my old age. <laughs> then I can pass away and they can fight about it. But, is, uh, but you've talked about that before where you write these books about non-duality, for example. Yes, yes. And then you wait, you wait for the knock, the angry dad at the door, but then angry dad doesn't show up. Is angry dad showing up now? Not yet. <laughs> I don't think Not he's yet. It's, it's wonderful. I, don't I even had uh, the rather moderate to conservative... Cardinal Archbishop of New York City, call me 
and I never knew he read my books, but he, he said, I've got a PhD in church history and in systematic theology, and I want to tell you what you're teaching is not heresy. Yes. And don't let anybody tell you it's heresy, uh, which was really gratuitous kindness from him. You know? I I love that sort of stuff. That was actually one of my questions for you. Is I, I oh. love it's towards the end. I have it at the end of my list here. I love you so much. Are there others like you? There seem to be. You're saying these things, and people are drawn to it. But there have to be other Richard Rohrs out there. Well, I sure hope so, <laughs> and I hope they say it better. That's the only. Uh, <laughs> I don't understand it myself, Pete. Somehow I'm in a unique niche, structurally, culturally, that I'm allowed to say these things. And Mm -hmm. I know myself, like my own Franciscan confreres, when I share it with them, well, we all know this already. But I do wonder, why don't more of them say it? Yeah. And I'm just lucky enough, blessed enough to have the platform, I guess. Right. But that's yeah. kind of what I'm wondering is like your Franciscan brothers, they agree with you. You're in your oh, own yeah. group. They're not like, this... well, we've lost Richard. No, no, no. <laughs> this is what we were taught. And I hope I say that in the book. That built on Francis himself, who had a nature-based understanding of Christianity. In the first century of Franciscanism, the 13th century, end of the 12th, we really developed the notion of the cosmic Christ. But then I can't say we continued to uh, project it outward. It was sort of in-house. Well, we know this. (laughs) Right. But no one else knows it. Yeah. (laughs) What was the feeling there? Like uh, other people will come around in due time. Ramdas has this wonderful thing where he goes, uh, people are being paranoid or freaking out or playing little mind games. And the attitude that he felt of the universe was, we'll wait. We're, no one's going anywhere. <laughs> like, take your time. This will be here when you want. But was that wow. the feeling? I wish I had the courage to say it just that way. You know, <laughs> my job is to still uh, hold the container so people don't feel I'm throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Yeah. I've got to keep the mainline crowd with me. Right. Now, I probably stretch that pretty much, but it's still a concern to me to be a part of a lineage, to be a part of a tradition, so people don't think this is just Richard's idea. Right. Yeah. That not that interesting? You are more effective to me in the confines, if you will, of a structure than you are as just some guy in a cabin somewhere, kind of, you know, speaking as he feels the truth coming through him. Like, it, it matters. Like, you, you say, like, you don't, you're not big on titles, but people like that your father, Richard Isn't Rohr, it amazing? You're the Franciscan. Because we have all this psychological damage yes, from other yes, people yes, with yes. titles that we need yes. people with titles to come in and go, no, Dad's not <laughs> mad at you. Relax. <laughs> Everybody relax. It matters. Cause that you was, understand. I, I've been a surprise... How true that is. Yeah. In a very secular culture, in a somewhat anti religious culture, uh, that still, if you show your credentials, your lineage, mm. there is a respect that you're not an isolated ego. Right. Yeah. Right. Thank Pe- you. 
people want no thank you i mean you're the one burdened (laughs) it actually makes me think of when howard stern was on terrestrial radio when he was a part of nbc and he couldn't just say whatever he wanted he was in that structure that sort of gave him juice and electricity that he that he recreates in satellite but he can kind of do whatever he wants in satellite but when he was in the system that was kind of when he was his most electric and exciting and and that must be or maybe i can ask is it ever a burden to you to stay in the system do you ever just want to go like what's the point it isn't for me now not that i don't have especially in this time with the pedophilia crisis huge bouts of almost depression where we could miss the point so much yeah but because i'm protected in the subgroup of the franciscans mm. i'm safe <laughs> i know, really it's yeah. uh, the 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 people love the franciscans more than they love the bishops right. and the bishops know that <laughs> and we have a kind of credibility that even they don't have so I'm riding on those coattails I by the grace it. of God. Yeah. yeah but- so no, it is not a burden. Now, if I was still a young priest, I'd probably have a lot more difficulty. Yeah. But now I'm in my last year, so <laughs> you- <laughs> they'll put up with me no matter what now. <laughs> and you might as well play it out the way that That's you've been it. playing That's it. That's it. Yeah. But it does matter. I, I do want to thank you for that. Like I-, I-, I talk to a lot of people about God, and it matters... Again, it's an image. You, you've you let yourself be an image. Do you even think of it that way? It's like, I'll keep this piece of my false self. Wouldn't you agree that uh, Franciscan and Father and all this stuff, it's just ego stuff. Titles, just, that's right. But I'm going to keep self, it yes. because it's, like Jung says, it's symbols that transform us. Yeah, people need them. They yeah. do need them to ground them, to take away some of their insecurity. You know, the word, in fact, it's funny you'd, you'd mention that three of the staff are over meeting in a little hermitage we have behind our visitor center, and they're, they're using the word brand. <laughs> and they're saying, <laughs> I know that really sounds dangerous. Yeah. But they're discussing what will be our remaining brand when yeah. Richard passes. Yeah. And they want to make sure that it's solid, that it isn't depending upon a personality, because uh, it's going to die otherwise. Right. right now, the CAC is doing wonderfully. But they're worried, rightfully so, uh, do we have a message that outlasts Richard? And that's my hope, and that's their desire. Right. You know? This is the same thing with Ramdas, who's in his uh, mid-'80s or late-'80s, that when he passes people, because I go to his retreat every year, and we're oh. like, are we going to keep going to this? Like, uh-huh. does it exist without him? Because just him being there is is a really th- a big thrill, and there's a vibration oh, it's gotta to him. Be. Uh, but then we're like, I can see them having the same question: like, how do we keep this going? Mm-hmm. Do they have an answer? Do you have a protege? Well. <laughs> No, there isn't. Uh, it doesn't seem. Yeah. That person will appear, a person's. We have a faculty of three. And the, the the phrase we use is the Christian contemplative tradition, which is, you know, uh, not so well known. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's a subset of of Christianity, even though I'm convinced it's, Christianity at its most profound mystical level. Yeah. 
So that's what we're trying to uh, uh, preserve. And, and I hope this book, The Universal Christ, is going to contribute to that. I've, not- so. I've noticed that, like the word Franciscan, mystical is an inclusive yes. word. Yes. I was having, this is name droppy, but I was having dinner with another Catholic, uh, Stephen Colbert. And we were talking oh, yes. about these ideas. And I said, you're a mystic. And he was like, <laughs> yes. And, and that, that made Did him feel he? good. You know yeah? what I mean? We were talking about transubstantiation. And oh, I was like, gosh. whether or not that, th- that's the belief that the bread is turned into the body of Christ, literally. Yes, yes. Or, yes. you know, in, in the body of the person eating it. And he was saying that it wasn't important whether or not it was literally true. He said that was the space wherein he could play with the mystery. It created a locale Beautifully for him. said. And I was like, you're a mystic! <laughs> you're absolutely right. That shows a good theological mind. Yeah. I'd love to meet him someday myself. Oh, I, Richard, yeah. if you had a nickel for every time I told him he had to read you, oh. you'd have 55 cents. <laughs> I mean, I kept saying it. Because this book is unbelievable and very, very important. And it's my favorite of yours, which is saying a lot. And I said, the, the dedication made me cry. This book pays out. On the pre-pages, the pages before the book are incredibly <laughs> moving. And if you and as the book suggests over and over, if you just sit with just one little part of it and contemplate it, including the dedication, which you dedicate, why, why don't you tell the people uh, about the dedication? Well, let me start. Yesterday, I got a full painting of a black lab looking straight at the camera. Mm. It's really hauntingly beautiful. Mm. You are the third person in today's mail, if I can put it that way, yeah. who says they were grabbed to read the book just from the dedication. That dedication. Because you're, you're, you're absolutely right. The whole message is sort of there. Yeah, it's right <laughs> <that> there. <laughs> whatever operates to pull the flow of love out of you toward reality, toward the world, toward God, that's Christ. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever in, in in that moment, your wife, your children, your, whatever it might be, yep. a, a beautiful yard of flowers, we've got to get the flow started because mm-hmm. <laughs> most of us are stuffed up, you know. Mm-hmm. So thank you for hearing it. Oh, I love it. Very that. much. Thank you. Later in the book, you say anything that draws you out of yourself in a positive way is God. Is that what I say? Okay, yeah. good. Which, <laughs> I th- which is right on. I, yep. I had that. You know, I, I'm past that worry, but in the past, I would have been worried that I was being blasphemous when I said yes. I felt, I, no, not felt, I feel Christ in my baby. I regard my baby as Christ constantly. And anybody God that doesn't, you. I'm like, you've got a, a, a wool bag over your head. I don't know what's going on that you <laughs> well, can't that, look at Or that. that you would resent that message. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Uh, Christians resent it. Yeah. No, everything is not Christ, just Jesus. <laughs> it's uh, a lost universe, you yes. know, of meaning, of love, and of depth. And yeah, the people who push back the most are bona fide Christians. Mm. They want to limit the presence to the single body of Jesus, mm-hmm. which means most of the universe is empty of Jesus or God. Yeah. Whatever you want to say, yeah. Third, How many children you have, Pete? Just the one. It's our first. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, you have that, your first. That's, that's why right. it is. Uh, it's, <laughs> an, it's another term I got from Ramdas, but he called it his guru, 
luminous emptiness, and I call my baby luminous emptiness. Because isn't that what it is? It's, it's just pure Aww. light. It's, it's exactly what you talk about. There is no false self. There's no self. There's no beliefs. <laughs> There's nothing to sell. There's nothing that, you know, no. most people are trying to insist. Even Persuade. I could be doing it to you. Yeah. I'm a comedian, and I'm a funny guy, and I'm this, and I don't want to seem too square talking to, about Jesus or whatever it is. Uh-huh. My baby has none of that. It's just there pure you go. I amness, right? Yeah, pure I amness, yes. And that if I you want can't to love that. You're not going to be able to love anything. That's right. And you say yeah, that in the book. Yeah. You say if somebody can't love everything you doubt their ability to love anything anything it sounds like a clever saying but i believe it's true thank you yeah thank you i mean i i thought that was right on the money something that i've been holding in my head since i heard you say it and then read you say it was wow. how you do anything is how you do everything how you do everything <laughs> and that's what i begin my contemplative classes with notice how you do anything and that's pretty much how you do life. Yeah. If you start with resentment, if you start with the judgment, I bet you're going to end with resentment. You're yeah. going to end with the judgment. Yeah. That's right. Because it just gets worse. Yeah. Well, you said that you were like, I saw you do it uh, in a video on YouTube. You were like, if you're looking at me and you're like, I don't like his voice, or I do like his <laughs> voice, or I agree with him, or I don't agree with him. Disagree. I, I, uh-huh. But this is, my dog barks sometimes, and it really... Not in the old way, the, the Christian be nice way. Sometimes my dog frustrates me. It wakes up the baby and all these things. And I was like, how I am with my dog is how I am with everything. How I am at a stoplight is how I am with everything. You know oh, what I mean? Oh, God, you get it. You That's get it. it. Well, you get it. You're helping me put, <laughs> put words to it. But, but back in the day, I would be – you said a beautiful thing about the word nice isn't in the New Testament. Is never in the New Testament. <laughs> Which I love. That that is that's like a post like a motivational poster. Because it's not about that. It's about some sort of transformation of how you see everything. It's that's not That's right. That's let me, right. Let me suppress my rage for my dog. Let me work with this rage. <laughs> let me uncover it and unpack it and actually authentically say yes yeah. to my barking yeah. dog and work with it. Well, it's, how'd you learn so much? Well, how old are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm 39. I'm right in the peak. 39. I'm right wow. in the peak of when bad things should be happening to me. Although they already kind of did. We talked about that a little bit. My wife left me. That's what my TV show was about. Oh, yeah. I was joking with one of your assistants that my show could have been call- called Falling Upward because that's, that's the whole story. It's called Crashing, which is the idea. I think it's everybody's story, Pete. Yeah. If they'd be honest. Yeah. Well, they don't all do the upward part, but we all fall. That's yeah. for sure. And th- but yeah. then that does lead to this. I, I, I wrote in my book, I said, I used to think losing my faith was the worst thing that you could do. And now I see it as like an essential step in my journey to be sitting here and talking with you unembarrassed about Jesus. That's a, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. I spent so much of my life being like, I'm sorry I was raised this way, and I have to regurgitate these things <laughs> well, people told me. most of your generation understandably feels that way because they see how their parents' politics ended up. We see that uh, it, it didn't create people who loved the world, yeah. but who just loved their own salvation, which was very, very narrowly understood. Yeah. 
How do yeah. you what what is salvation to you now? We obviously we grew up with the idea that it was a club. I was in and <laughs> I would quietly pity. This is why I think I didn't ever really believe because it, and one of the things that put a crack in my faith was if I thought my brother, literally my brother, who didn't believe like I did was going to eternal conscious yeah, torment. Unbelievable. I, I would have been behaving differently. <laughs> I couldn't just be with him at a Quiznos. I, I would have been grabbing him by the shirt collar and being like, this is real. This is a pain. But I didn't. So my behavior betrayed my so-called beliefs earlier. So that, that intuition is something I'm trying to listen to now. You don't believe that. You don't see that. You, let, let, let me have you speak to this. You say we often make a God that is like us instead of yes. the other way around. Almost always. Yeah. Yeah. The idea that, that we should be making ourselves like the God that we see, and, and that might be what Father Francis saw in, in nature, the regeneration and the yeah. light and the love, and the, like Jesus talks about the birds of the air and stuff. W- would you talk about that, what real salvation is? Okay, let me, basically, let me try to get right to the core quickly. It's when you first begin to have your, to overcome your experience of separateness. That can be with God, that can be with your little baby, uh, that can be with nature. But when you know, I am not alone, I am not apart, I am one. I know Christians just like that for some terrible (laughs) reason. I mean, Jesus prayed uh, that all may be one. Mm. Uh, So this is in our own religion, but any language of one... They're afraid of. I interpret that as overemphasizing their diversity, their specialness, their tribalness, their uniqueness. When you overplay that card, you don't want to be one with the rest of your brothers and sisters. You really don't. Mm. So uh, Ken Wilber would call that moment waking up. Well, Buddhism would too. Mm -hmm. When you wake up, is when you overcome your illusion of separateness. Now, if you don't feel some kind of love, uh, you won't uh, be able to do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You will keep protecting your separate self as superior and as smart and as sexy and whatever else. Uh, It doesn't mean very much, but I'm afraid a lot of our people have not woken up yet. They still think they are their separate self yeah because we die when we become one right i mean we lose yeah, our to what we think we are to what we think that's we are it. the, so the we small think we are yes has to and if you're real attached to it which is probably why jesus said really why a rich man cannot understand the kingdom of god if you're real attached to your wealth your car your good looks your uh, it's very hard to let go of that self. That's right. Because it's working for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have all these material reminders. That's right. Look how That's special right. you are. I've often uh-huh. wondered what I would do if I won a, an Emmy or something. I'm like, what would I do with that? What would you do? It, yeah. would, be, it would be powerful to like oh, give it to someone. I, or... I'd love it to happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very kind. Yeah, but you're yeah, right. You we, need, we need to be able to work with those accolades or wealth or comforts that honestly most of us enjoy being westerners but not get too attached to them but 
Ron, that's I, a good distinction. Enjoy it, but don't get too attached to it. Yeah. Or don't don't enjoy it too much. Right. Because <laughs> where, yeah. Richard, I know you see, where is it? What are you talking about? Like sometimes Val and I will talk about something that happened a year ago and we're like, what are you talking about? It's all right here. Like sometimes you step into that way of seeing where you're like, that memory of, a, of an achievement or someone's feeling or respect, it's all just... Kleenex on fire. Nothing. It's nothing. It's gone. Kleenex on fire. <laughs> God, that's good. It's gone. Yeah. But we cling but to especially it. Especially when you're young. Yeah. And that was my point in the book, Falling Upward. Especially when you're young, you grab onto that. It's all you have. Yeah. You know, imagine your teenage years when you want to be the cutest guy in high school, you know, yeah. the most popular guy in high Why wouldn't you? And God understands that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it has to fail you. It has to disappoint you. And I assure you, it will. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Just It will. But it, it won't work forever. Isn't no. that why we see, hopefully and gracefully, so many people having epiphanies in uh, close-to-death yes. situations? Yes. Where they w- mm. Go ahead. No, you're saying <laughs> when the false <laughs> self shows itself to be the false self, an illusion a passing fantasy. Uh, 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 Thomas Keating loved to say, the only thing that separates you from God is the thought that you're separate from God. I love that. (laughs) And what meditation is helping you to do is stop being reinforcing that thought that I'm bad, I don't belong to the right religion, I had sex and I'm evil or something. <laughs> They'll find some excuse yeah. to say they're not united with God. But it, see, that's, that's why one of my understandings of a metaphorical devil is the brain. The brain is lying to me. The brain is stealing from me. It's stealing me from the moment, as you would say, by labeling. You said that the Bible yes. says, do not judge, but a better, this is you, interpretation yes. would be, do not label. I've noticed when we label things, it's, it's robbing you of that space that I'm talking about where I'm like, that's all bullshit. That's all it really is. bullshit. What are you talking <laughs> You know what uh, Roger Ebert's last words were? Um, what? He said, it's all an elaborate hoax, is what he said. But he said it it's in like, all... isn't that beautiful? He didn't say it in it like really a gripping the bed, like it's a yeah. hoax. He was like, he was there. Hoax. He goes, it was. It's all an elaborate hoax. Like the idea that you're separate is a, is a hoax. The idea that anything is going on. I remember I was doing a, a speaking thing with Rob, and some woman asked me, Rob Bell, and some woman asked me about like how to be a effective woman in ministry or something. I don't know why she asked me, but she did. Yes. And I just, I, I was feeling it, and I was like. You're not a woman. You're not white or a woman or an American or a pastor's wife. Like it was so easy and she yep. was so ready to be dismantled. It wasn't me dismantling oh, her. It was her own good. openness. And we had that this really transcendent moment of like, you're just another it. <laughs> one of us. You're just one yeah. of us. Yeah. <laughs> well, that you you say two things about Jesus. Well, one one is this verse. I think it's in John where he says, "I'd love for you to speak to these two things." I'm going to load you with two things. <laughs> All right. One is John. I'll try. Uh, you're going to kill it. <laughs> oh, you trust me more than I trust me. Thank you. <laughs> well, let's put it this way: no matter what you do, you're accepted and loved, and you're oh, wonderful. Oh. 
<laughs> Even better. Accepting being accepted. That's yeah. right. That's mm-hmm. right. That's what you define faith as, is, is believing, accepting that you're accepted. Well, or, you know, we could go back and say it's another definition of salvation. Mm. Uh, when you accept that you are radically, totally accepted, warts and all, that's that's salvation, really. I love that so much. Yeah, well, it's true. We're all over the place. I'm not going to remember the other. Th- I'm not going to forget the other <laughs> thing. But Ramdas, it's over my toilet, so I see it all the time when I when I'm peeing. It, there's this quote where he says, "When you look at trees, you just appreciate them, and you understand yeah. like this one bent this way to get the light uh-huh. over there, and even like a scary quote unquote ugly tree can be really beautiful if you're quiet with it." And then he's like, "And then when we get with people." We forget all of that. There's, there's no compassion. There's no understanding. Uh, and there's no accepting them and, or, or ourselves, which, which is a terrible trap to be stuck in. So he says, I try to practice turning people into trees, which I think is a beautiful. Oh, I see. I wasn't following the point. Now yeah, no, it. that's the point. I stuck yeah, the landing uh-huh. late. Okay. But here's the yeah. – isn't that just lovely? The two – What is it that we, we allow it for natural things and animals – more than other people, yeah, because they don't fight for our attention; they just they do their thing. That's right. Yeah, Alan Watts talks about looking at the stars, and he's like, he has this beautiful quote. I keep I keep butchering it, where he's like, you know, Buddhists. He says one of the reasons people are drawn to Zen Buddhism over Christianity, Judeo Christianity, sometimes, is that even though Buddhists do acknowledge that there is a space that can be improved with goodwill and community and love. There's also this huge uh, swath of just accepting things the way they always have been and the way they always will be. Wow. And he's like, realism. Isn't that amazing? It reminds me of Jesus saying the poor will always be among you. And, and, and when we look at the stars, he says, you see bright stars, dark stars, light stars. You, You have no judgment for the cosmos. You're just like, look at it unfolding lawfully. And yet when someone steals our parking spot, we're just like, this is nuts. I hate that. You know what I mean? You can't have you that You use same. great examples. That's so good. Thank you. Very homey ones. I get so theological. Oh. Thank you. Thank you. I don't Wonderful. think that's true. I think your book is unbelievably grounded, especially for tackling such a thing. So to the universal Christ, these are the two things I'm going to load to you. And they're in your book. One is that verse that I've heard Eckhart Tolle use as well where Jesus says, um, before Abraham was, I am. Mm -hmm. And I like to joke, Jesus had the past tense available to him. You know what I mean? He Ah, didn't say, uh, I was. uh, He said, uh I am. Why don't you you speak to that? Yeah. uh, Well, as you know, the underlying thesis of the whole book is something that's obvious in the scriptures, but we just didn't have the mind to uh, visualize it, picture it, name it. The Christ existed, as Ephesians said, from the beginning. Mm. You were chosen in Christ from the beginning. Mm. That was the basis of Franciscan Christology. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Because we wanted to base it in creation and couldn't depend upon (coughs) a problem that happened 2,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. which made Jesus too limited, as if God was saying nothing for 13.6 billion years. <laughs> was the universe empty of God? 
As you would say, and, that is so narcissistic, isn't it? Yeah. It's so narcissistic. Yeah. Thir- 13.7 billion of consciousness, animals, and, hu- and countless humans. Human beings. Irrelevant. Throw away. Irrelevant. Throw away. Throw away. Yeah. yeah. We're just waiting for Roman Catholics and evangelicals. You That's know? right. That's right. It's an it's a incoherent, stingy universe. If God is waiting for 13.6 billion years before God starts talking. Hmm? <laughs> and I think this is, <laughs> this is why we don't respect the earth mm. or other races or other religions. Because we never found its inherent value, its inherent dignity. Mm. You've got to plant dignity with the creation. We've found now, after 2,000 years of Christianity, if you leave it up to the private individual who is almost always egocentric, he will make it depend upon his group, his nationality, his gender, his... I mean, we just don't have time for it anymore. Yeah. That we've, we've created a Christianity that creates very small people, really. And I hate to keep saying it, but our recent politics in our country has made this very clear. Mm-hmm. That in the very people who most identify with Christian, seem to have the most people they exclude and hate. Mm -hmm. Now, where do they get the legitimation to act that way? Because their theological worldview, their image of God, God was punitive. God was exclusionary. So you become the God you worship. Mm. So for me, to have the combination of Jesus and Christ I say that toward the end of the book, I think, is to have the universal Christ combined with the personal Jesus. And to say, as I do, I believe in Jesus Christ, is to make two different levels of faith affirmation. And up to now, most Christians have at best believed in Jesus. But that Jesus was pulled into their ethnicity their tribe, their group. When I preached internationally for many years, you know, I'd say I go to Switzerland and Jesus would look like a, a a policeman. No, that was Germany. Germany, he looked like a policeman. Switzerland, he looked like a banker. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And America, he looks like a businessman. And finally, you see through it all that we have recreated God in our own image and make him uphold Western capitalism, for example, Mm -hmm. because that's our worldview. So, well, Jesus must like it too. (laughs) Right. He greases the wheels of what we were doing anyway. Well, we were doing anyway. And so we can stop talking about him. You you said, like, that's why the the Sunday talk about it for 30 minutes and then get on with your real life model works so well. It's like, well, I'd like to keep buying things and watching things and eating things (laughs) and getting a bigger house and a better car. And let's just talk about how that's okay for 30 minutes and then get back to real life as opposed to what you're talking about, which is Christ within and throughout and inside of everything. And you, you said that you're, the, the way we can tell we're Christians is our ability to see Christ in everywhere. Everything else. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> not, and, not just ourselves if, and going, we have it, and you don't. <laughs> if you think that's glib or easy yeah. or simplistic, you try seeing Christ in everybody. Yeah. No exceptions. Yeah. And treating them 
as such. Right. Yeah. Well, the Hindus have that. The Hindus have, like, if somebody yes. comes to your house, they're like, well, that's God come to visit. And that's why they're so hospitable. But that's a theological belief. I remember walking among the hordes of people in India. I taught over there three times. And honestly, feeling totally safe. Mm. Wow. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, maybe there must have been reasons for not being safe. But talk about a tolerant society. Yeah. Whereas here we have to fear an AK-47, you know. Right. And we're the Christian country. Right. Because the world was allowed to be hateable, hateable for us. Yeah. Once you legitimate that, the ego, the dark self will grab onto it. That's right. You know? There's yeah. a, I always, I think it's, I don't remember who it is. Oh, it's Tolstoy. He says, as long as we have slaughterhouses, we'll have battlefields. And I think as wow, long we can I never heard that. Isn't that oh good? My God. Wow. I think as long as we're condemning 90% of the world to hell, yes. of yes. course we're going to be cruel and petty and exclusionary and xenophobic and ugly. You, you are got it. you're harboring the worst thing you could think about somebody <laughs> and you're you're I'm speaking for myself when I called myself a Christian. I'm still uh, Christ-loving person. I'm just sure. saying, when I was a Christian, I walked around thinking, like, that's too bad. It's too bad. That... Those poor slobs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but we weren't... I remember being confused as a kid. I was like, shouldn't we be doing more? But, like, the truth was, uh, it was it was a racket. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't in line with our hearts. It wasn't in line with our intuition. No. Created very smug people. Yeah. Who felt superior... With no good reason. I'm not trying to be unkind to them, but yeah, uh, yeah. But you talk about the so a, a couple things are coming to mind when we talk about Father Francis and the Earth, and I, I was just thinking about like the way that light. When Eckhart Tolle had his like uh, awakening yes. moment, he said he yes. looked at a beam of light, and he just and he saw the light. For the first time, like literally the light, like not a light in his head. He saw light coming through the window and it all made sense. He saw this, you know, uh, non-discerning, the rain falls on the just and the unjust sort of Uh, moment. Yeah, very good. Where he was like, there it is. It's for everybody. It's free. It's right here. And it's only ourselves that are robbing us, as you said earlier, Mm. of our our connection and our our union with the divine. Naked being. Pure isness, mm. as Meister Eckhart said. Mm-hmm. And once you learn to access being, you'll see it's good, you'll see it's true, you'll see it's everywhere, <laughs> and you'll see it's one. Mm. It's, mm-hmm. That's medieval Catholic philosophy. <laughs> but most Catholics never got taught that. Yeah. You know? yeah. We I- bought the reward-punishment paradigm. Because that's what the dualistic mind likes. And that's what the ego likes, right? To, to, and that's what the ego likes. To yeah. know and to know we know. I, I liken it in my book to wearing a Patriots jersey at the Super Bowl parade. It feels good to go, we're in, and we, we can only know our inness by other people's outness. We, we need right. them, right? You said it, yeah. <laughs> but Why you, don't people see that, though? Uh, I mean, uh, the way we're talking right now, would sound really weird to most Americans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's heartbreaking, heartbreaking. I know. Because they're denying themselves so much joy. I know. So much happiness. 
Well, you talk about that. You you have this lovely line in the book. It's like once you see, you talk about panentheism. Oh, yes. And not pantheism, but you can maybe explain the difference there. You know, that's worth saying because for some people it will solve their fear. Pantheism, God equals all things. God and all things are the same. That was always condemned as heresy. Mm-hmm. And I, I would agree. I think there, there must be maintained some distinction between creator and creature. Not two, but not totally one either, mm-hmm. as the Buddhists might say. <laughs> now, our word for that is panentheism. Not God is all things, but God in all things. Mm-hmm. Now, our word for that was the incarnation, the enfleshment of the divine spirit in matter. What we're saying, what I'm saying in the book, uh, The Universal Christ, is that incarnation began at a moment that we now name and call the Big Bang. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You don't have to call it that. But whenever God started showing God's self in visible form, whoever God is, that's creation, and that's the first incarnation. Uh, I'm speaking as a Christian. A Christian believed that Jesus is the personalization of that in a moment of time. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, well, you I said that in your interview. Around. You said God gave Je- gave us Jesus for something to lo- like fall in love with and to touch. That's right, and to that's hold. Right. It's uh-huh. hard to hug the whole universe, but it's like okay, here's a piece. <laughs> I one we of can all. see and touch. And, and look at with our eyes, as First John says. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you need both. Or, uh, it gets to be just theoretical or just gets to be sentimental. I mean, I, I hate to... I remember I was with a group in the southern part of the United States. I won't mention the state. But they, they actually were talking about Jesus as their personal boyfriend. <laughs> now, I, I, <laughs> I know what they wanted. I know they were good people. I yeah. really do. Yeah. But they had so pulled this mystery, uh, bigger than all the galaxies and stars, into a little sentimental That's right. relationship. That was it, me. I, I likened it, it in, in my book to a purse dog. Like Jesus was just this thing yeah. in our purse. That would help us find parking or, or protect us from the flu. And, and, yeah. it, and, and, the, and the invitation, wouldn't you agree, is so much more immediate. It's not waiting for something. Let's see if I get the flu or let's see if I find parking. It's right here and now, ready to pass through you at any moment. Rob and I were talking about this where the air becomes delicious like pink lemonade. Everything is thick uh, and vital honey. and real. And you see, yeah. you talk about that, real seeing it's sexy it's not boyfriend sexy but it's like it's <laughs> no. it's charged it's alive and it got turned into something so stupid it's so stupid, stupid. it's true eroticism <laughs> the the whole universe is erotic yes everything is attracted to everything yes and when our word for that is love but we sentimentalize that word too yes. you know yes uh, there really is something erotic uh, and charged about the charged. world. There's the word. When yeah. you see that there's something that wants to be. When I see sp- cells splitting, that's like a, a tiny little miracle. It's just something that we go like, well, a cell split. Think about that. Think something, why? Something was in it 
a code. We could look at the code. We could photograph Absolutely. the code. We could write down the code. That's great. But it was there. It was in it from the beginning, and it split, and a fish walked out, and here we are, and now I'm talking to you over, the, over Skype. Thank you. <laughs> Before I begin my second talk yeah. at the big conference next week here at our convention center, they're going to start with a four-minute clip of a salamander starting with one cell. Yeah. And it's just, you almost want to weep at the end. Yeah. A little salamander yes. that you and I would not even care to notice. That's right. And yet how it grew from within to be itself. Yes. I, <laughs> Everything has such a soul. I can't. Yeah, it's so wonderful. It's I so can't. wonderful. <laughs> and, and you're right. Science, as you point out many times, is, is a great ally to these ideas that we're, we're seeing now that stem cells are pretty yes. impersonal at the time. And then they slowly sort of go like, well, I'll be a nose. And another one's like, well, I'll be a nose, too. And, and they start acting like a Working nose. Working together. Becoming a nose. It's, it's, Isn't that unbelievable? Well, this is yeah. why the gift of having a baby was such oh. was so amazing for me and why were I you say, present at the birth i was present oh, but even good, more uh, let's back it up i was present when consciousness flipped on in my wife we were sleeping oh. in bed oh my god you know what i mean like in her belly something became aware of itself even on a small level but you know small and big is relative to to the baby it was everything you know what i mean and you delivered the baby no no i didn't deliver the baby oh you didn't know no okay. no i i'm getting trippy now and i'm being unclear all i'm okay, saying I is while she was pregnant something amazing was happening just while we were I hear you. watching okay, movies beautiful. and eating noodles yes and yes, then you see yes. the baby come out and i mean that everybody has i mean almost without exception everybody has a transcendent moment there almost Exactly. You know, we're supposed to be present at birth and death. Mm. And those will give you the great spiritual teachings, just about all you need, really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you're present to them and say, what just happened? Yeah. But you separate people from birth and death, which have been medicalized. Uh, I think we're, we're cutting out a foundation of spirituality. Totally, most people. totally agree. Yeah. Well, speaking wow. of India, the way that they carry yes, dead bodies yes. through the street and mm. how a lot of families live together, births happen at home, deaths happen at home. Yeah. I'm remind there's that quote where I forget who said it, but they said, uh, love and death are the great gifts that most people leave unopened. And I'm like, wow, that's good line. Isn't that yeah. Ramdas also says death doesn't have to be seen as an error. It, it's not a failure. It's, it's this thing built into it. To, as you would say, it's like this sort of constant potential suffering, the thought that we end, that gives the whole thing electricity and vitality. Puts a clock Such on a the paradox, game. yes. Isn't that crazy? It really is, yeah. That we live... You know, one of the five most important books I ever read as a young man was Ernest Becker's The Denial of Death. Mm. It won the Pulitzer Prize maybe back in the 70s. But I still refer to it. Mm. And he says that the whole human experience is a salvation project to pretend that death isn't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. that is, Ramdas, yeah. in that same quote, he says, the, the denial of death takes up so much of our subconscious 
that like if we could make some sort of piece or have some sort of narrative about it, like looking at it as the culminating adventure that ends this adventure called life mm. is what he says, you free up all of those energies, and this is his quote, that would otherwise be used in denial. So when we can make... Wow, wow. Isn't that right? Mm. Doesn't that feel right? It's right. It's correct. If yes. you can f- have some sort of story, not a belief, but like a real symbolic ingestion of death as not being the thing. Don't look. Don't look. Look don't at look, it. Yeah. Look at it. Uh-huh. Every, everybody that takes uh, LSD or, or any of these psychotropics typically explain some sort of their body will, will dissolve or it will melt or it will break apart or it will shatter or it will disappear or it will shrink. It's this, it's this like weird message from spirit saying like, that's going away. What remains? What, what stays? What is it? Isn't that Boy, wild? you've done your homework, Pete. That's beautiful <laughs> for a young man. Well, really? Thank well, you. Thank you. I, well, I've gotten what I came for, so now we can just chat. <laughs> I, I just No, that, that means a lot to me. I appreciate that. Well, it's true. But speaking, the other idea that you sort of say in the book of Christ, and you said this on Rob's podcast, and I'd love for you to talk about it, it um, is the idea that a, a brain surgeon doing surgery on saving children's lives or whatever is doing God's work. Oh yeah. Or doing yeah. the work of Christ, whether or not he says it. And you say, I think it's in Ephesians, the God you're already worshiping and you don't know it. And they don't know. Yeah. Most Christianity in its authentic stages is anonymous Christianity. You know, two that come to mind right now, are these research scholars who spend their whole life in a back office caring about the healing of one disease. Mm. See, this is love for the world. Mm. This is love for the future. This is love for humanity. I don't really care. I hope this doesn't shock people, but I don't care if they go to church on Sunday. (laughs) The flow (laughs) is flowing through them. Yes, I love to watch nature shows on the Nature Channel. And I'll see these, uh, you know, often young women, young men too, who've given 10 years of their life to preserving a a certain tree frog Mm -hmm. in the Amazon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's right. And it's just, who are these people? Or uncovering Uh, another billion uh, different variants of of amoebas. I I saw one of those where they were like, we only know like one one ten-thousandth of the varieties of or millionth of amoebas. And this woman was in some room, just like you're saying, devoting her life to uncovering them. See, this is... Carl Rahner called it anonymous Christianity. Uh, <laughs> I love I, that. I, it sounds a little patronizing, like we've we got to make them into Christians. No, I but, see it the uh, other Christians way. Christians need to hear that, to know that so many who are uh, verbally Christian are not impressive because they don't care about tree frogs or they don't yeah. care about... Yeah. Uh, they don't care about the world at all. Right. At all. Right. In fact, much of evangelical history, well, old-time Catholicism too, was about escaping from the world, mm. fleeing the world. This damn thing is evil. Let's get to heaven. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, what an anti-gospel. Huh? I know. Because you end up hating your own life, the land on which you're standing. 
Uh, this is not my home. I'm just passing through. Yeah, I'm just passing through. Yeah, and yeah. Most of us had some form of that language mm-hmm. in our early education. It, it didn't create loving people. They were preoccupied with repression, denial, avoidance, and exclusion. That's right. And that does not make you into a lover. Right. It doesn't. Right. Well, I think people have pointed out that that's why a lot of conservatives don't care about the planet or care as much about global warming or whatever. Because what do they care? This is just this is just a holding space. This is just yeah. It's a toxic a stage worldview. setting yeah. for evangelical Christians to be the remnant and fly off to heaven. It's that's right. Just, it's very disappointing. We're the people getting on the rocket. There's a second Earth, <laughs> and we're the lucky ones that got on the rocket, and it's like, so long, suckers. Yep, but yep. when Ramana Maharshi died, his devotees, I want to put this to you. I'm not just quoting Please. to seem impressive, um, although there's definitely ego happening here, and I want to seem impressive, let's be honest. <laughs> Ramana Maharshi <laughs> says when he was dying, his devotees were begging him to stay, and he said, don't be silly, where could I go? Which I, I just think, oh my God, isn't that it? Oh, where could I go? Where yes. could I go? Wow, beautiful, beautiful. I just thank think, you. Isn't thank isn't you. I mean? Isn't that right in line with your book? Where could I go? Where could any of this go? Yeah. Where? I, I want to read you this other Alan Watts quote, and then I'm going to let you off on it because I bet it's just going to get right in Blow your belly. my mind. Let me hear it. This is this is one of the greatest joys of my life is reading a book from a Franciscan friar and going. This sounds like. Uh, a Zen philosopher I know. He said, we do not come into this world. We come out of it as leaves from a tree. As the ocean waves, the universe peoples. Every individual is an expression of the whole realm of nature, a unique action of the total universe. That's, that's, don't be silly, where could I go, right? Yeah. Yeah, the kingdom of heaven is among you, Yes, is within you. Yes. And I hope I say toward the beginning of the book, we've always thought, at least I did as a Catholic, Jesus came into the world at Christmas. I think the more correct, <laughs> the more correct way to think of it is Jesus came out of an already Christ-soaked world. Yes, yes. <laughs> the first incarnation anointed everything, and Christ means anointed, as you know. Anointed everything with divine purpose. Mm. And out of that, a personalization emerged. Now, I am allowed to believe, even as an Orthodox Catholic, there were other personalizations. The Vatican Council taught us Jesus is the Word of God, but there are other words, too. (laughs) Is that right? Because that was one of my questions for you, was other... That's, That's Vatican II. But most Catholics... We're taught Vatican II. I, I hate to tell them, but, you know, the, the two previous popes saw it as too much freedom, too much open door, and really didn't spread the word very much. And that's why poor Pope Francis is struggling, because he's got to make up for 25 years of lost time mm. and get us back to the true gospel of incarnation. Is it and as, oh, go ahead. Not, not making ourselves the only ones, mm. which every church seems to want to do. Mm-hmm. Is it as yeah. simple? I've heard cynical, and I've been the cynical person too. Is it as simple as if you give? Ramdas tells the story about his cat getting really fat because the cat figured out where the cat food was. It was in uh. a cabinet under the sink. <laughs> 
so the cat was getting really, really fat, and he and he and he likens it to the spiritual thing, where he's like, once you figure out where the cat food is, and you can get it yourself, you don't need your owner to give you cat food. Wow. So is there some? Is it as simple as going like? Was the church perhaps concerned? If we give these people the keys to the Corvette, they'll drive away and we won't fill the seats? <laughs> is, it, is, that, is it that simple? I do think, uh, Pete, that the clergy created a codependent relationship. And Protestantism didn't reform us in that. It continued the same thing. Mm-hmm. If we would teach people how to pray, which we call contemplation to give them the contemplative mind. I don't think we're going to hate clergy, but we don't need them so much. We're not codependent on them. We don't let them shame us for no reason. Right, right. As as we Catholics certainly did. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm agreeing with you 100%, but I'm going to quote that cat food thing. Isn't yeah. that good? We don't want the cats to know they can get the food on their own. Yes. That's excellent. Because and you, that's from who? Ramdas. R- Ramdas. I, I can try and find it. I believe it's in uh, Love Service Devotion, an audio series. Okay. He gave. That's not very uh, helpful because it's about 16 hours long. But if I, if I find where it is, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll definitely send it to you. Um Okay, I got a little sidetracked because I started thinking about where that might have been. So, the, okay, you were talking about the idea. So I sent you my book, and, and, and part of my book has this idea of Maharaji, and Maharaji was Ram Dass's guru. Now, hold up your book. Is, were you pointing to it there? No, no, I was pointing to a picture of Maharaji. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> I, do, I do have it over there. I don't remember getting your book. I'm sorry. Can you hold it up? It's, I get sent two to six books a day. No, I know. But you, you read it. You got it on the computer. It oh, didn't look like oh, this. Oh, okay. I just never saw that cover. Yeah, you of never course, saw that. Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forgive me, forgive me. No, of course. Now, I loved it. What? Because you were able to say <laughs> such profound things oh, I, in such a, a an intriguing way. Thank I, you. Of I, course I, I read it. All I, right. Well, yeah, you blurbed it. It was one of the great thrills of my life is that you read <laughs> oh, it. Oh, thank you, brother. But I was... Uh, please don't take this as me thinking of you in a box, but I was almost concerned. I was like, here I am writing about Ramdas's experience with Maharaji, and Ramdas would certainly say that Maharaji was a Christ, was a guy that woke up to his unity with the universe. And then I, I am wondering what you think about two things. Are there other Christs? Have there been other Christs? I think about the internet making it more possible for us to discover and learn about other Christs. But then also, is it possible for us to become Christ's? All right. Now, you're, you're, I've got to talk so I don't offend anybody on either side. Yes. And still speak what I think is my truth. Yes. As best I, as one limited mind, can understand it. I do not believe Jesus is the exclusive Savior of the world. Many others, as the few you've just mentioned, mediate the divine presence, and that's just obvious, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know why. What If we would have understood Jesus as the inclusive Savior, precisely his ability to include everybody else in his incarnational message, I don't think we would have been in competition with the other world religions. Mm. But most of us defined him as the exclusive Savior. You see, emphasizing 
his specialness instead of, you know, and the fact that he's always making non-Jews the heroes of his story. Yes. That he's praising Syrophoenician women and Roman centurions. It should have been pretty obvious to us (laughs) that he saw the divine presence in other places. Right. (coughs) I'm I'm sorry. This is an allergy. It's not a cold. (laughs) Uh, So we didn't do the world a service by making Jesus a competitor with other Christs. Mm Mm-hmm. His ability is precisely to include his message. And that's what I'm trying to say in the universal Christ. This is an inclusive message. It's not fighting with anybody saying, my God's better than your God. <laughs> it, what, <laughs> what a waste of time, you know? That's what now, I what spent was your second so one much you asked, in my life though? doing. Sorry, what? <laughs> you asked a second one, too? Oh, I, oh. I, I do just want to relate. We used to, I remember in Christian college, we would go like, my friend uh, John, who's a very sweet man, we were talking about why Jesus was better than other gods, and we were talking about Buddha, and he was like, "Well, Buddha never came back from the dead." Like it was just like <laughs> we needed a way to quickly dismiss uh, yeah. other. We uh, were all trained to think that way, right? Yeah, yeah. It's very sad. Did you get to the chapter on resurrection yet? You know, it's toward the end. No, I haven't. I want to tell you that I'm doing your book the way that I think you want people to do it, and I'm reading it very slowly. Every time okay, there's a well, text, I'm, I'm honored by yeah. that. I am, but I, I think, I hope, yeah, a lot of the questions we're leading toward will be somewhat resolved by the chapter on resurrection. But it's toward the end. Yeah. Okay. What what is a a hint? It's about these other. Okay, well, all right. <laughs> You're so curious. Yeah. We made Jesus' resurrection a one-time anomaly. If you read First Corinthians 15, where preachers love to quote this verse, "If Christ is not risen, your faith is in vain." Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. We skip over the very previous sentence. Now, I'm going to paraphrase it, but I think it's a fair translation, where Paul says, if resurrection is not a universal principle, Christ could not have been raised. Mm, mm. Resurrection is what happens to everything. It's the pattern of the universe. That's right. I had a funeral mass just last night for a dear uh, uh, neighbor here. And in the preface of the Catholic funeral mass, Here's the words that we've had since the third century. You know, life is not ended. It merely changes. Mm. And I recited that as strongly as I could. And I think most Catholics, it's just another pretty line. But uh, Mm. resurrection is the way things end. (laughs) Uh, There's a wonderful line. Let's see if I can find it in the book. Uh, Did you see... The, uh, what is it called? The Exotic Marigold. Uh, oh, Hotel? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I didn't. Should I? Well, the the resurrection chapter begins with a line f- from that movie. Listen to this. The best exotic marigold hotel. Everything will be all right in the end. If it's not all right, it's not the end yet. Oh, I love that. That's the message. <laughs> <laughs> and you get it in a 
B grade movie. I don't know if it's yeah, B-grade. yeah. No, I understand. <laughs> Just like a run of the mill. Yeah, no, an ordinary movie. An ordinary. And there movie. it is. There you some go. sincere, yeah. absolute truth. I love that. Well, that that is. I, what do you, what do you make of? I had it in my notes here to ask you, and I don't want to be too either or about it. So let's stay in the in the smushy in the smushy space, the warm space. <laughs> but uh, I am going to ask you a, a point blank question about reincarnation. It, oh, okay. Where, where could I go? The idea I, I was I interviewed Larry King and I on this podcast and I was talking about the idea of the universe as a fountain that's con- constantly repurposing itself and regenerating itself. Sort of that idea of like don't be silly where could I go? It's all here, it's all now and it's all happening sort of at the same time. So that sort of lends itself and maybe this is just our minds wanting to make a story to the idea that when we go, we don't go anywhere, we just take another form. It certainly would give us more time to figure out some of these ideas. It seems like a graceful God would go. That's why I like when Ramdas goes, uh, don't worry, we'll wait. Like, maybe you need wow. a few more times yeah. around. Sometimes yeah. Val and I say that to each other. We just go, they just, you know, we do too, but we go, they just need another few times around. <laughs> and that seems in line with what I see in nature and that seems in yes. line with the, yes. my intuitive understanding of God, where he's like, it's not 70, 80, 90 years gone. Let's hope you pass the test. It's like, play, baby. Take your time. Mm, I'm yeah. not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> Please figure it out, because that's, that's what I designed this whole dance to be about, this whole flow to be about. Well, the dualistic Western mind loves a storyline of reward and punishment good guys and bad guys. So we framed everything inside of that frame. Uh, Retributive justice. The egoic, dualistic mind loves retribution. Now, the East and the West, in their earlier periods, tried to get out of that conundrum in two different ways. The Eastern religions came up with reincarnation because they saw Grandma dying imperfect, And, of course, the assumption is nothing can be in union with God unless it's perfect. The Western Church, and Orthodoxy too, we came up with an answer trying to solve the same problem, and we called it strangely purgatory. (laughs) (laughs) That you had to burn your sins off, you had to be purified, and then eventually it was like the Catholic explanation for wiggle room. You don't have to be perfect to know God. Well, if we believe in infinite love, infinite, that we're all saved by mercy, we're all saved by grace, God fills in the gaps, I don't think we need either reincarnation or purgatory, for sure. Uh, We're all saved by grace. Uh, See, and what encourages me in that direction you don't have to agree with me, is I fail to see many people in the last stage. You know, All of us appear to be pretty imperfect. I see. And, and if I can love that, well, certainly God can, you know. <laughs> right. And I've gotten better as I get older to be more and more compassionate, tolerant, understanding of people who in my youth would have driven me crazy. Yeah. So if I can grow in love, 
then an infinite lover has no trouble. Yeah. So I, I don't really believe in purgatory or reincarnation. I'm not saying that's the only way to believe, but I don't need them. I don't right. need them. Because you yeah. don't need the extra polish of uh, coat of wax to like, let's get yeah. this ready before it can go. You're I don't saying, need it to be perfect to be lovable. What, yeah. is, what is the parable? Jesus, Rob and I talk about this parable all the time, but I don't know which one it is. A guy is giving away land or something. <laughs> There's a lot of landlord parables. You're right. And it, here, I, know, I remember the point was Rob goes, you can't divide infinity. He's like, it doesn't oh. make sense. This person deserves this much land. This person deserves, and they all get the, That's they all get right. a lot. It, Christ is always, or Jesus is always telling these That's stories. That's a very good answer. Isn't that great? You can't divide yes, infinity. Yes, it is. I so, see why I like Rob. That's very good. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've sort of caught me... In a in a great way, in the in the good way, in the in the fun way, of 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 still having some of that feeling of like, well, I better get my best garments on before I go well, to the I wedding feast. <laughs> shape up, yeah. yeah. See, when we don't have an ontological understanding of holiness, of goodness, of being, ontology is the nature of being. Mm-hmm. Huh? When it isn't coterminous with the creation, what every religion does is create a moral basis for holiness. And the trouble is, in that one, nobody wins. Mm. We're trained to pretend. We're trained to be hypocrites. We're trained to deny. Uh, I see this in in most religions that never go beyond the what Ken Wilber calls the cleaning up stage. Mm. It's all about cleaning up, not waking up, can you feel the big difference between cleaning up and waking up? Yeah. And uh, a large percentage of Protestantism, and I love my Protestant friends, but it's mostly about moralistic cleaning up. Right. And you never win, which leaves you inherently insecure. Not that we Catholics didn't do the same thing, but we had more of a mystical bent than later Protestantism did, which came around when everybody was rational. Right, right. <laughs> and so they became, understandably, rational. Right. <coughs> we did, too. All of us did. <coughs> we, you, uh... <coughs> Excuse glasses. me. Yeah. We have the same glasses. I think those are from Ikea. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you, uh, we talked about... You, or I heard you talk about morality being the only type of love... That's how we showed love. That's how we learned to show love was by being nice and by being moral yeah. when we lost the idea. So it's understandable that we start there. That's yeah, right. Right. But you're, you're, you're urging us back towards the Trinitarian, and we don't have to do that whole thing. I, I don't want to exhaust you. <laughs> but the idea of love <laughs> as something so much more complex and mysterious and flowing yes, yes. than just being Did nice. we talk about the Trinity last time? No, we didn't. No. I, I just, oh, we didn't. Okay, but you've read The Divine Dance. I, I love your points about the Trinity, and, and I love that book as well. But I, I heard you say that, th- that that felt right to me as it got turned into like, will be moral because that's the only way we know an yeah. external love that, that's provable and showable. Well, let me, let me uh, we're, we're winding up, we're, we're wrapping up here, so let me make sure I'm not forgetting anything. We, we've covered a lot of this. I, I remember that story that you were in Thomas Burton's Hermitage, and oh. remember the monk came up to you, you saw a monk in the woods? Oh, Father Jacob was his Would name. Would you tell yes. that story? Oh, yeah, well, you know, I was there almost 40 days, and it was springtime. It was March and April. 
And so I learned to take longer and longer walks, walks through the Kentucky woods. And one day, I'm on one of those paths, and I see a monk in full habit coming toward me. And I had been told that deep in the forest, there uh, lived some recluses. <laughs> now, a recluse is even more a hermit than a hermit. He, he only comes in for Christmas and Easter. He lives in absolute solitude. And I remember when you said that the, the people at the church love to see if the recluses are going to be insane or glowing. Yeah, either insane or <laughs> mystical. Yeah, yeah one or right. the other. <laughs> how much did they lose? Did they really lose the thread of their mind? Or are they, how, how with God are they? And I bet both have happened. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, anyway, this was one of the saints, I think. Uh, I, I just stepped aside and I put my head down very reverently. I wasn't going to invade his silence. He spots who I am. And I don't know how he knows who I am. So he must not be too much of a recluse. He's a, <laughs> He's got he says, Richard, Richard, <laughs> you get to preach. I don't. With great excitement, he points into the air. He says, just tell the people God is not up there. Yes, isn't that it? <laughs> and he, God bless you. And he walked on. Yes, you know? and you've been. T- I wanted you to tell these people. I love that. Well, story. thank you. What a good thing to allow me to say that really happened. I, I walked around in ecstasy the, myself the rest of the day because the learned truth of that—that mm. God abides in the soul and in nature where He lived. Right. Uh, you know, they don't even need to come in for the sacraments for daily Mass. They don't need to receive communion because they're living in constant communion. Right. You see? Right. You don't need the ritual. You don't need it. You can enjoy it if you want, but you don't need it. Right. You say that in the Universal, universal Christ. Do I? Like, oh, okay. The more, uh, but I love it. It bears repeating and repeating and repeating. The more you get in tune with this personal and universal Christ, yeah. the less you need, you like you just said, you can enjoy them. Enjoy it. You found where the cat food is. Why do you ha- need to say, as most religions do, it must be this way? Yeah. Uh, it's, everything's a gift. It's a gift economy. Uh, the kingdom of God is a gift economy. And if we could just enjoy the gifts without saying, you've got to enjoy the gift exactly as I understand it. Yeah. That just doesn't get us anywhere. It doesn't mean anything, really. I know. Uh, we keep circling back to that point, but I love it. I, it just, I, I guess this is why this is one of my passions. It's a, like the most beautiful, interesting, vital, electric, now thing got turned into something that it, that it just isn't. And I'm just so glad that you're out there wow, helping wow. us steer back towards it because it makes life better. Not later, not after you listen to this podcast, yes. while you're listening to the podcast right now. Why not right now? Right now. There you go. There you go. I'm paraphrasing, but I, I think you would enjoy this. This is something Krish, somebody said to Krishna Das when he was in India. He said it about his guru, but I think it applies to God. It's something that I think it's like God is what's looking out your eyes right now. Like that feel that that's how personal it is. It's not as the monk said out there. It's here yes. in the flowers and the salamander, and it's looking out and it's holding your molecules together, and it's your breath. Mm. It's that beautiful thing. You gave me the chills. You told that story. It was at a tech conference. I I, I wonder if I can bother you to tell it again about the what person talking it? about the name of God 
and Yahweh. Oh. Do you remember this? They they were of talking about I do. being the breath. <laughs> would you mind telling that story? Because I think it would mean a lot to people. All right. I was at a sophisticated conference an hour north of here in Santa Fe. And it was a conference on the confluence of science and religion. And a man got up who was a a Jewish man, and uh, he said, you know, you Christians think that uh, taking the name of the Lord thy God in vain is saying, God damn you. And he said, you shouldn't say, God damn you. That isn't very nice. But that's not the meaning of the commandment. It's not even close. Because really, to speak the name of God at all is an arrogance, uh, as if you know what you're talking about. (laughs) And he said, you can't really speak it. This is what just took the whole room by storm. He said the Hebrew pronunciation of the sacred name, which we are told not to try to pronounce, which gives them a beautiful humility that most religion has not had. Uh, In fact, is the sound of inhalation and exhalation. Oh, he did it about 35 times in the presence of that group. And many people, especially many of the Jewish scientists, were choked up. They said no one ever told us that. That God is identified with the breath itself. So what does that mean? That God is as available as the air in front of your mouth right now. There's not a Jewish way of breathing or a Hindu way of breathing or a Catholic way of breathing. There's not a gay way of breathing. We all take in the same endless air. Mm. And even the message that what you take in, you have to give back out, Mm. (laughs) which is showing up, uh, to continue that uh, fourth phrase, cleaning up, growing up, waking up, and showing up, (laughs) that you finally got to give it back. You got to hand it over. So uh, I'll tell you, Sometimes when I wake up at night and my mind starts obsessing about some difficulty, I, I just go to my breath and realize I'm praying unconsciously. Mm. That the first word I ever spoke when I came out of my mother's body was the name of God. Mm. <laughs> and uh, the last word I'm going to breathe is the name of God. Mm. And it's that's how close good it is. Stuff. And that's how... That's Real how non-mental stuff. it is, too. I paraphrase yeah. that. I know what you just said so well. I said the whole thing just as you said it. Uh, Nadia Boltz-Weber did the podcast, and I, and I... Oh, she came through here last week. Yeah, I know, uh, because her flight was canceled from canceled, L.A., so yes, she went and uh-huh. saw you. I was teaching all day, so I didn't get to see her. Oh, okay. Yeah. But if to the listeners, if that sounds familiar, it's because I was... I, I'm sure I said I was. I was quoting you because I love that point so much. Because it takes it out of the brain of knowing and knowing that we know. Yes. And believing yes. and knowing that what we believe is correct and others are wrong. It's as close as the air on your skin. It's what's looking yes. out your yes. eyes. It's right here, right now. And it's something... 
dare I even say practical. It's very practical. It really and vital. is. It really is practical. And no energizing. No one can possess the air. Yes. No one can say, I have God. That's right. And even the moment of having it, you have to give it away. That's right. You have to exhale. That's right. So, <laughs> but when we're in so, that state of awareness, when we're, when we're <laughs> thinking thoughts like these are or better really becoming these ideas, life is better. It's not about, I'm not trying to, so and, and neither are you, neither of us are trying to get people to pledge to this religion or to get afterlife not, assurances. Not. The reason I won't stop talking about this is because when you're in your car in traffic and you remember that, life is, like I said, the air becomes like oh. pink lemonade and everything is vital. It's like remembering when you're in the shower, this could be my last shower. Suddenly you smell the soap. You know what I mean? And, and, it's, and, and it makes a difference right now, not later. Now and later. Hallelujah. Right? That's, See, that's good salvation. news. <laughs> <laughs> that's good news. Uh, why do we need to make it into something so abstract? I know. And moral and dist- distant. I know. And later. Right. <laughs> well, you talk about loving imperfection, loving, loving right. perfectly loving things that are imperfect, including ourselves. And that's a gift and a salvation that you... I, I say this all the time, but it's, it's a quote... I, that's in the beginning of Thich Nhat Hanh's book. I should really look up who it is. But it says, knock upon yourself as a door, and what you reveal to yourself shall be revealed. It's this like, mm. it's not like waiting for someone yes. or something else yes. to come along. It's like, let's, let's get into the fundamental core being that's, that's running mm. our motors right now. And that's a little taste of that breath that we're talking about. You're a good man, Peter. I Thank love you. this, Richard. I, 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 I almost flew to New Mexico so we could do this in person. I've never well, done an I'm glad interview. You didn't have to. Uh, <laughs> I will you don't one have day. To add to the carbon footprint. That's, by that's flying true. here. That yeah. is true. But one day I'll find myself out there, and and we'd we'll love look, to have you. We'll look at some trees. <laughs> okay, we've got a beautiful one right here in our yard. Oh yeah, um, you wrote about it in the book. I talk about it in the book. Yeah, I, I right. want to see that tree, and of course, you okay. know the Buddha gave that sermon where he just holds up a flower and, and that's supposed to be his greatest sermon. And I was like, that's what the universal Christ is about. Mm, that's what you're you. telling people. That's what you're helping thank us wake you. up to that. It's that it's in the plant. The fern in your office has as much mm, divinity mm, as mm, any cathedral in Westminster yep. or otherwise. Yep. It's, it's, and it's, and it's also inside of you. If there's no fern, if you're just in a cell alone. I mean, a, a monk cell. You could be in a prison cell, sure, too. Sure. It's there for you right now, and that is good news. It's really exciting. <laughs> um, would you... Uh, this This will be the last thing we do, and then, okay. and then we'll get you out of here, and it's 30 seconds. I would love it. You told the story to Oprah, the story about the four-year-old wanting to talk to his baby. Oh. It just, it just, Why do people love that story? We love it, and the, and yeah. the listeners haven't heard it. Well, especially now that you have a little one. Yes. I was told this way back in my early years in Cincinnati. That was supposedly a true story from a local hospital, a local family. That a family had a little three-year-old. How old is yours right now? She's only five months. She's about to be six months. Oh, just a, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then they had another uh, little boy. I think it was two boys. And they brought him home the first night in the house. And the older one was so excited and uh, hmm. he said, can I talk to my little brother? And uh, they said, well, sure you can. But he said, I want to talk to him alone. So they shut the door, 
but they were listening at the door. (laughs) The parents were, as any parent would. What's this little one going to say to the baby? And they swear this is what he said. Quick, tell me where you came from. Tell me who you are. I am beginning to forget. Mm. Now, if that story is true, it's very affirming of a whole bunch of things. That we unlearn the truth by culture and by so-called education. I'm not saying we shouldn't get educated. According to Genesis, we do have to leave the garden. But that's what I'm talking about in the chapter on original goodness, original blessing, original innocence, any of those words you want. But we weren't, most Christians were not taught about original goodness, which is Genesis 1. It was good, 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 five times in a row. (laughs) And then it says, it was very good. And the sixth day, the Sabbath, seventh, it says, and it was holy. Now, why it's perverse? Why did we take that beautiful Genesis 1 and prefer to start with Genesis 3? Mm. The problem. <laughs> Eating that damn apple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, th- this, when you start with a problem, you end with a problem. And you never get beyond the problem. And much of the first 2,000 years, and I do believe we're still in baby Christianity, uh, is is still involved with the problem. Mm. Sin, blame, guilt, fault. How did we not start with the positive anthropology of Genesis 1? You are created in the image and likeness of God. Mm. What a loss for history. What well, a loss. You actually, I've heard you tie this into Twitter. You read a negative Twitter comment, it stays with you the rest of your life. You read a great one. You talk about the Velcro Teflon. I'm not going to have you. Yeah, Teflon. It's a thing in our brains. You have to soak on a good thought way longer to have it get into your (coughs) DNA than a negative one. Minimum of 15 seconds consciously enjoying something, or it does not imprint on your brain. That's what the neuroscientists say. Isn't that Whereas an angry, insulted response sticks with you forever. Yeah. Effortlessly. And I think that might be why we were like, let's go with this one where we're bad and we're kicked out of the party. Well, that explains the Velcro Teflon theory, it's called. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Richard, thank you so much. The book is The Universal Christ. I've been tweeting about it and Instagramming it. I think people are. You make me happy. Thank you. Well, it's it's a real gift. It's it's a mitzvah. It's thank you for taking the time to write it. I know it couldn't have been easy to tackle such a huge subject. But you did a wonderful, wonderful job. And now that I know that you have so many books coming your way, of course you do. Thank you again for reading mine. That meant the world to me. Oh, how could I forget it? I I just, I was thinking, was there a book that just came my way? But that came my way some months ago. Well, you read it a while ago, yes. Yes, yes that's okay. right. All right, It Thank means you. so much that you read it. I, I, I mean, I, I wrote it hoping oh, that someone like you... I could you... be funny. I don't know how to be funny. <laughs> you haven't heard a single funny thing <laughs> in this whole hour and a half. I don't you know. Need, you need Peter for that. I don't Thank know. Thank you, brother. Thank God you very you. much, Richard Rohr. God bless you. Would you say, this is how we sign off, the guest says, keep it crispy. Keep it what? Crispy. <laughs> Crispy.
crispy. Yeah. <laughs> See, I don't know how to be funny. No, you can do it. You can say keep it crispy. Keep it crispy. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Thank you so Thank much, you, Richard. We'll talk You're soon. You're beautiful. I hope we meet again. I, I know we will. Thank you, Richard. <laughs> Thank you. Love brother. to you. God bless you. So crispy. My Z-900 shoes ain't 50. I'm so crispy. I'm so crispy. My ice game make you haters want to get me.